Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue our series, Turn the Page. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And now also on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning, community. How are you feeling this morning? You guys are looking good. Welcome. A special welcome to you if you're joining us digitally. Uh, I've been thinking this week about the power of words, written words, spoken words, words that we share online. And uh, I thought maybe I'd share with you some words that have been really impactful to me over the years. Because words can do a lot of things. They can cause great good or great harm. But here are a few words that for me personally uh, have kind of changed the course of my life. Here's the first set of words here. Um, All you can eat. That... Doesn't that just fill your heart with happiness when you read? Like, I've seen people, like, swerve across four lanes of traffic to get to an all-you-can-eat restaurant. Maybe more specifically, I grew up in a family of nine people, and I remember my dad's, like, face filling with joy when he saw these words here. Uh, kids eat free. Um, kids, that's like the, that's just like evidence that God exists and he loves us, right? Kids eat free. Restaurants may be my favorite, but here, here's one that I uh, always brings a tear to my eye. Um, breakfast served all day. Glory be to Jesus. I don't know if that makes me a child, but there's, there's never a time where I don't want breakfast, right? Ever. Anyone with me? Any breakfast lovers in the house? It's always a good idea. Um, here's one that's a little more like season specific here. Um, eggnog sold here. Oh, seriously? No. Okay. Where are my eggnog lovers at? Any eggnog lovers? Maybe more significantly. Where are my eggnog haters at? Um, Okay, we'll pray for you. That's <laughs> awful. Um, but two words, though, that I imagine have transformed a lot of people's lives involve a particular baseball franchise. A baseball franchise that heard these two words. They hadn't won the World Series in decades, right? You, you know the words. Say them with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Tigers win. Am I right? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't remember exactly where they were October 14th, 1984? Who's with me? Any, have you ever felt like a whole room turn on you in a moment? Uh, that's, that's what I'm feeling right now. Okay, so obviously these are like lighthearted examples, but we've, we've all experienced words that have transformed our life, right? Like, like words like, I do, or I'm pregnant, or I bought you some eggnog. I just really love eggnog. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I remember in my senior year of high school, um, I had begun to sort of feel this, this nudge toward ministry, but I didn't, I didn't actually know what that meant. No one in my family um, had ever worked in ministry, and I, I was kind of terrified. Like I had a, a number of family members saying, you should get a real job first, right? And then if you have time, you can dabble in ministry later. And I was like, I was really unsure of what to do next. Where, where would this decision lead me? And I remember my, my, my dad sitting me down, and looked me in the eye and he said, if you feel like God is calling you toward ministry, you need to run after that with everything you got. And I'll be honest, that conversation, those words, that one sentence there changed my life. Like changed the trajectory of the decisions that I would make later. And I, I think we've all been on the receiving end of, of words that have changed us both for good and maybe for harm, for bad. So today I, I want to tell you about the two most powerful words any of us will ever hear. The two most powerful words any of us 
We'll let everybody hear, but we'll get to that in a second. As John mentioned, we're in the middle of the series called Turn the Page. We're in week 6,000 of the series, and um, we've been kind of turning the page throughout the entire Bible. We started in the Old Testament, walking through the narrative of Scripture, and a couple of weeks ago, we turned the page to the New Testament, and we've been talking about the Gospels, and the Gospels essentially are God entering into humanity through the person of Jesus. God breaks through the world through the person of Jesus, and the world was never the same. And so uh, as we turn the page here to Luke, we begin with a character named Mary. Now, there's a couple of things about Mary that you should know. Um, at the time that this angel Gabriel visits Mary, she's like 12 or 13. So, so she's, a, she's a child, and she's engaged to be married, and she's also a virgin. So those are really important details to the story. And Luke describes the encounter between Mary and the angel this way here in verse 28. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now I'm not going to lie. I'm totally with Mary on this one, right? Like she's just minding her own business, making some figgy pudding. And then boom, there's an angel in her living room. And I, I would be troubled too. Now, she, she probably was familiar with angels. She'd heard stories of angels. But she also knew, like, a- angels don't typically stop on by to say hi or talk about the weather. There, there's usually some kind of news that needs to be delivered. Uh, but she was not expecting this specific news. Next slide, please. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So she was not expecting this news. I think it's easy for us to miss this piece because so many of us are so familiar with this story. An angel shows up to a 12 or 13 year old and says those words. That's a bit jarring. Like, can we just for a moment, put yourself in Mary's shoes. She's engaged, but she's not married. And this angel says, you're going to have a baby. And in this culture, you know, to have a baby, you you had to, uh, you know, you know, you'd have a baby. You couldn't be a virgin. And and in this day and age, to, to be pregnant and not be married could be a death sentence. It wasn't just shameful. It wasn't just like something like, oh, it's like a mark on your record. Like it could mean the end of her life. And so this angel is conveying some news to her that is pretty overwhelming. But there's, there's, there's this one verse that comes next that I think is, is often overlooked. The angel says, for no word from God will ever fail. If God says it, it's so. If God speaks it, it's going to come to pass. So this angel recognizes that she's troubled, says, do not be afraid, conveys this incredible news, and then reminds her or maybe declares to her for the first time, no word of God will ever fail. Now that this response from Mary, I think is remarkable. Rather than recoiling, this is how she responds. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May this thing that you speak, this thing that you've shared, may it come to pass. In fact, um, if we fast forward a little bit in her story, we see this like troubled, apprehensive, fearful woman by the end of this story is now singing praise to God for this news that's been conveyed. We 
are all being formed by words, either transformed or deformed. Every single one of us, the words that we take in and the words that we give out, words have forming power. And in this moment, Mary is experiencing a profound one. Now, this notion of the word of God doesn't just exist here in the story. In fact, word of God is this theme that's sort of woven all throughout scripture from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. At the very beginning of the story in Genesis, um, we see that God is creating and the world is coming into existence as a response to his word. Literally, God speaks it and it is. He says it and it exists. And throughout the Old Testament, God spoke through the prophets. The prophets served in a lot of ways like the mouthpiece speaking to you in a new way. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. If you're ever fuzzy on how God operates or what he's like, look at the person of Jesus. He says, this is now how I'm going to speak to you. Now with Jesus, there was a lot of things that I think drew people to him, right? Like if you can multiply food and walk on water, that's, that's going to draw a crowd, period. But one of the things, though, that drew people to Jesus was the power of his words. And not just the power. They were authoritative, but they were also countercultural. They shocked people. But maybe most importantly, his words gave life. He twisted things. He put ideas on their head. He often took a right turn and wove confusing, peculiar parables. He surprised people at almost every turn, but his words were life-giving. People who heard these words were changed. They were transformed. In fact, John records that even some guards who were sent by his opposition to arrest him came back saying this. They said, we have never heard anyone speak like this. Did you catch that? Like the hired gun sent by Jesus's opposition to arrest him came back empty handed and said, we've never heard anything like this guy. There, there is something about this Jesus that is way different than any of us anticipated. His words had great power. It was undeniable that there was power in Jesus' words. And here's what I want you to not miss, because I, I think so often we read stories like this, particularly at Christmas time, and we think, that's a great story from back then, and I'll like think fondly of those stories and maybe even have memorized some verses. But here's what I want you to know this morning, that Jesus still speaks today. I believe that with my entire being. Jesus still speaks today. One of the reasons that the Gospels are so important is because they don't just convey ideas about Jesus. They contain the very words of Jesus. And we can begin to understand a little bit more of how he works in the world. But if you ever come across maybe a verse, something Jesus said, and like you honestly thought to yourself, oh man, I wish I hadn't read that. Anyone ever had that experience? Anyone ever had that moment where you're like, wow, I wish Jesus hadn't said that? I've had moments in my own quiet time, my own study, where you read something Jesus says and you think, oh man, I wish I didn't know that. I, w I wish that he hadn't said that. I, I actually compiled a couple of things, things I wish Jesus didn't say. First, he doesn't invite us, but instructs us not to worry. Not to worry. Jesus says, do not worry. Do, do you know that in the United States alone, Employers spend over $300 billion on worry and stress-related issues in their jobs, in their companies. It's almost uncool not to worry, isn't it? You ever like met someone who doesn't seem stressed out at all and you're like, what's wrong with you? Like, who, who are you? Like, hey, how are you? Things are great. Are you sure? 
do you need to lie down? That's insane. Jesus doesn't invite us not to worry. He instructs us not to worry. Maybe you're sitting there thinking like, well, maybe if Jesus sat next to me while I paid my bills, he'd understand, right? He'd get why I'm so stressed out. Sometimes I wish Jesus hadn't said, do not worry. Another thing I wish Jesus hadn't said was that I can't serve God and money at the same time. Can't serve God and money at the same time. I think the reason that Jesus talks about money so often It's because he knows that that is a massive hurdle between us and full dependence on God. Isn't that right? You ever think about how much time we spend thinking about, strategizing, saving, wasting, spending money? It's a lot. We spend a lot of time fixated on this thing that for a lot of us is a barrier to full dependence on God. I think the great philosopher Kanye West put it best. Um, I haven't even said it yet. Uh, <laughs> Kanye West said, having money is not everything. Not having it is. Whatever that means. But think about it though. Have you ever really truly told yourself, man, if I could just make a little more, then I'd be set. Anyone ever had those thoughts? If I would just make just a, just a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more saved away. John D. Rockefeller, when he was the wealthiest man on planet earth, was once asked by a reporter, John, how much is enough? His response, just a little more. Jesus knows that's how this thing works. When we depend on our wealth rather than on God, it has an insatiable appetite that is never satisfied. We're instead invited to see all of what we have as a gift on loan to us from God, that we're to steward well in this world. Here's one that's uh, that's not too popular. Jesus says to take sin seriously to take sin seriously. He doesn't, he doesn't play around with sin. In fact, in this verse, he talks about cutting off body parts. Now, I think he's speaking like in hyperbole, but what, what I think Jesus is saying in this moment is, is there something that's coming between you and God? Cut it off. Get rid of it at all costs. That may seem drastic to our sensibilities, but Jesus is communicating in this moment, sin is not to be played with. So often we teach sin to do tricks when the Bible instructs us to put it to death. Jesus goes after it and says, if there's something that's standing between you and God, this thing that's kind of clogging the pipe, you need to kill it. You need to amputate. You need to do it now. Jesus takes sin seriously. It's not a peripheral issue for him. Another thing that I wish Jesus hadn't said was to love my neighbors the same way I love myself. Jesus apparently has not had some of my neighbors. Um, is anyone, anyone tracking? In fact, Jesus, as he often does, he doesn't say to tolerate our neighbors. He says to what? To love our neighbors. And you know that neighbors doesn't have anything to do with our address, right? Neighbor is the people around us. And oftentimes, it's the person who stomps on our last nerve. Often, when he talks about neighbors, he's saying, who's the person that drives you crazy? Love that person, too. The person you can't stand, the person that every family gather, whatever it is, love that person too. Love them with the same love that you have for yourself. Love them with that kind of love. He says everything can be boiled down to this. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. In fact, you love God by loving others, right? He talks about the least of these. He's like one of the ways that we love God is by how we love our neighbors, He doesn't stop there. He's got a whole list, right? He says to turn the other cheek, to love not just our neighbors, but our enemies. 
to regularly set aside time to rest, to hit pause, to say no to doing. He says to take up our cross and study him. Right? Wait, was that not, is that not right? No, what, what, is, what does it say? To take up our cross and follow him. Jesus is not just content with us filling our heads with knowledge about him. This audience hearing these words for this first time knew what a cross was. A cross was not like a nice piece of jewelry or something that we get tattooed on our biceps. It was an instrument of execution. He, he was saying to be my disciple means to die to yourself and not just learn about me, not just fill your heads with knowledge about As good as those things are, he says, the call, the invitation is to follow me to walk in my footsteps, to be covered in the dust of your rabbi, that this idea for a lot of us is far more intense than maybe we realized or feel we're ready for. At times, I wish Jesus hadn't said those things. To not just learn about Jesus, but to trust fully in him. I think maybe, maybe this would be a helpful way to think about it. Um, how many, how many of you are hammock lovers in the house? Anyone, any hammock lovers? First off, how many of you thought this was a manger, not a hammock? Anyone? That's the ugliest manger I've ever seen. Okay, so, so just, a, just a moment of full disclosure. Um, I'm terrible at hammocks. Like, when I, when I want to, like, approach a hammock, it usually is, like, 10 minutes of me strategizing how I'm going to get in. Like I'm, like, I'm squaring off for a fight, you know? And then, uh, and then I do like a weird, like, like a half in, half out situation and I end up falling or flipping and then swinging around like I'm fighting, you know, invisible killer bees or something. It's, it's not pretty, but I'm going to sit in it for you this morning because I love you. It's, it's sort of like this though. Has anyone ever tried to get in a hammock like this, right? And you're like, this is so terrifying to do in front of you right now. I wish you guys could hear the squeaks of this. It's awful. So I like grab like this or something. This isn't good. This is so stressful. So, okay, so anyone, does anyone get in the hammocks kind of like this? Sort of like a half in, half out, and you're bracing, and you're like praying to Jesus, and you're calling your mom for help, right? It's, it's, it's not pretty. Hammock experts, um, if there is such a thing, <laughs> they say that the trick to getting into a hammock is what? Is just falling back into it. When I learned this, it like changed my life, is to just simply fall back into it and trust the structure. Oh, this is way more comfortable than I was anticipating. We're going to have 20 minutes of silent prayer. Just close your eyes. <laughs> Just, <laughs> we'll be fine. To simply sit back and trust the structure and rest. Honestly, I think following Jesus begins with something a lot like that. A lot, a lot of us are still trying to do this like, this like half in, half out dance with Jesus. And if you're honest, it's exhausting. And the reason that it's exhausting is because God did not build us that way. We were not created to do this sort of like half in, half out. It's like being half in and half out of a hammock. It's not designed that way. We were not built that way. In fact, it ends up being far more exhausting than we think, even though, even though we think we're like maintaining control, right? And I'm like keeping one foot out just in case. Jesus says to, to die to yourself, to follow me, begins first by resting in who Jesus is, who he says he is, and who he says we are as a result. And I'll be honest, I, I spent a lot of my early years with the half in, half out dance. One foot in around certain people at certain gatherings, and then one foot out just to be safe, just in case. I think a lot of us have this picture of, of God as sort of this like angry 
arms crossed, Zeus guy in the sky who's just trying to squash our fun. But Jesus says, man, I didn't, I didn't come just to give you existence. I came to give you life. And not even just life, but life abundantly. Not just eternal life, but life right here and now. And some of us have never actually just let go of control and rested in that fact. We're still like white-knuckling relationships, our finances, our career, whatever that thing is. The invitation to Jesus is way more profound than maybe any of us really fully realize. Like Mary, we, we may be apprehensive. We may be troubled at some of these words. But I'm telling you, the invitation of new life in Jesus is far greater than you could possibly imagine. But it takes us saying, you are God and I am not. So what words maybe do you need to let go of today or take hold of today? Maybe for you, you need to start taking sin seriously. Maybe there's even something in your life, like as I'm talking, you can feel it in your stomach. You know that there's this thing that's like, it's toxic for you. It's toxic for the people around you. Maybe nobody even knows about it, but it's created this barrier. It's created this wall. You know that it's there. Maybe, maybe today you stop teaching that sin to do tricks and you put it to death the way that Jesus challenges and invites us to do. Maybe, maybe it's taking seriously the words to turn the other cheek. Not to be a doormat, but because Jesus knows that that will begin to free our hearts from this need for revenge, this need for retribution. Has anyone ever held on to like revenge or bitterness in your heart for a long time? What does it do to you? It kills you. Oftentimes, the other person doesn't even know. If you've ever held on to bitterness, revenge, retribution for a long time, you you know that it isn't actually the place of life at all. At all. Maybe we need to take seriously the words to not worry. Easier said than done, right? (laughs) To ask God, would you help me loosen my grip? Whatever that thing is, God's, God's saying, do you see the lilies, the birds? How much more important do you think you are than them? I got this. I'll take care of you. I'm a loving father. Maybe we need to take seriously the command to love our neighbor or even maybe love our enemy. And in so doing, we might even begin to see the image of God in that person, in that group of people. Earlier I mentioned, I wanted to share with you the the two most important words any of us would ever hear. Do you want to know what they are? I think the two most important words any of us will ever hear are this, Jesus said. Jesus said. Through him, all things hold together. If God speaks it, it's so. In fact, one word from God is worth more than a thousand words from anyone else. One word from God is worth more than a thousand words from anyone else. Some of you are playing tapes back from things other people said. Others of you are playing things back that you're telling yourself. If that voice isn't whispering grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love, it's not God. It's not Jesus. He's speaking life to us and purpose to us. And that sometimes may mean addressing sin issues in our life. But in him, there is no condemnation. Shame is not how Jesus operates. What, what words maybe do you need to start to crank the volume down on and start cranking up the voice of God in your life? What words do you need to trust in to not worry, to not worship money, 
to take sin seriously, to love your neighbor or your enemy, to turn the other cheek, to learn to rest, to take up your cross. I want to challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit in this moment to identify what word you need to take hold of today. What's the thing that he's working out in you? Now, if you remember, when you, when you choose those words, maybe, maybe our response could be Mary's response. Maybe her response could be our prayer. Her words were this, may your word to me be fulfilled. Fulfilled, completed, accomplished. God who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God finishes what he starts. If you're in this room, we're all a work in progress. God has begun to do something in and through you. He finishes what he starts. Maybe that's our prayer this morning. God, may your word, may this word be fulfilled in me. Show me what in me doesn't bring you honor, isn't bringing me health, isn't bringing me purpose. God, speak life into whatever it is I'm wrestling with. And through Mary... The Son of God and the Word of God, Jesus, came into this world. So this Christmas, maybe, maybe we can celebrate those two words Jesus said. And you may still be apprehensive. You may be fearful. You may be concerned. Regardless of what state you're in today, may we trust the God whose Word never fails would you pray with me God thank you for loving us with that kind of love with that kind of purpose with that kind of intention God would you remind us or maybe tell us for the first time how deeply loved we are by you God and whatever whatever word is jumping out to us right now as we're listening as we're watching would you remind us that you are not a God who is distant but one who is near Would you open our eyes to your spirit at work in and through us right now? God, help us to take seriously those words Jesus said. Help us to take hold of whatever it is we need to take hold of today. Not for our glory, but for yours, God. Not by our power, but yours. We thank you and we love you. And we pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.